Will you pray before Aaron comes, please? We're so glad to see you this morning and a beautiful warm day and uh, as Leslie mentioned we do have several that uh, are out uh, sick and we have several traveling of course it's uh, summertime so that's about par for the course and uh, if you're uh, maybe new to um, First Church or uh, you're interested in finding out more about us. Uh, we're having a class next Sunday. Not really a class, a meeting. Talk about our church next Sunday. And if you'd be interested in attending, we need to know that. So food and so forth. So arrangements. So if you can email me and the information's in the bulletin. Um, maybe if you've even been around a long time, but just want to come to lunch and uh, learn more about our church, we'd love to have you. Uh, so it'll be uh, next Sunday from 12 to to 2.30, and uh, so, but again, sign-ups required, so please register for that uh, this week. So, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, verse 27 is where we'll pick up this morning, and uh, you know, I don't know about you, but I like, in fact, I love getting presents. Getting presents is cool! Uh, now, you know, we're going to, I'll say this, and, and I really do mean it, you know, the giving of gifts is good too. In fact, a lot of times it, it's better. Uh, but getting gifts is pretty darn good. I mean, it, raise your hand if you don't like getting gifts. That's exactly what I thought. Every one of us likes gifts. Of course, Leslie, my, the greatest gift I ever got next to salvation was Leslie. Aw, isn't that sweet? Uh, and I mean it, too. <laughs> so, uh, just had to put that out there so I stayed out of trouble. Uh, yeah, but uh, gifts are great. Uh, but you know what is so sad is that sometimes you get a gift and you don't use it. Now, sometimes it's because it's a junky gift uh, that... Uh, you know, somebody, you know, those white elephant gifts, sometimes you, have you ever been to a white elephant gift Christmas party and you intentionally buy something that nobody really wants? Uh, at our last church, we had one of those and um, there was some dragons, some ceramic green, em, emerald green, gaudy dragons. And I ended up with you know, when you have those Christmas somebody can take your gift. Guess what? Nobody took those dragons. And so I was stuck with them. I said, well, I don't know what I'm going to do with them. I did not put them in my office. I didn't put them in the house. I left them in that box, and I put it on the shelf up in my office. And it sat there until the next December rolled around. And you know what I did? I took that box out. I got a great big gift bag. And I put that box of dragons in that gift bag and lots of uh, pretty, you know, tissue paper and I put a ribbon on it and a bow. I was going to make sure I did not end up with those dragons again. 
but guess what? I got rid of them. But then the year after that, guess who ended up with those stupid dragons? I don't think those dragons made the move with us to Pearl. Uh, but, you know, that, that gift wasn't a very good gift. But there are gifts that are really super good. And the gifts that are super good are only super good if you use them. And so that's what we're going to talk about today in relation to our walk with God, our relationship with God. Uh, and so last week, and if you weren't here, let me encourage you sometime this afternoon to go back and read the beginning of chapter 12. Uh, the Apostle Paul's talking about spiritual gifts, the, thing, the abilities that God has given uh, his believers to build up the church. And he's wrapping up that discussion, and that's where we pick up in verse 27 this morning. It says, now you are the body of Christ and members individually. And God has appointed these in the church. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers. Uh, and after that, miracles and gifts of healings, helps, uh, administrations, varieties of tongues are all apostles. Are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles? Do all have the gift of healings? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I will show you a more excellent way. Though I speak with tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all of my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy, love does not parade itself and is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But where, whether there are prophecies, they will fail, and where there are tongues, these will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is made perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in the mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part... But then I shall know just as I also am known. And now abide faith, hope, and love. These three. But the greatest of these is love. What a great, and you probably have heard at least part of these verses before. Especially if you've been to a wedding, just about every wedding I go to. Uh, you know, 1 Corinthians uh, 13 is read, uh, at least part of those verses, uh, talking about love, and change, perhaps you had that at your wedding. 
You know, love is such an important part uh, of our world. It is an important part of who God is. You know, John 3.16, perhaps the most known verse in all of the Bible, what does it say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And that's a great message that God doesn't just love a few, but it says God loves the world. And guess what? That means everybody, even you. And I hope you're glad about that. And so we talked about last time, you know, I had mentioned, and I'll just remind us, that God loves us so much that not only does he save us, but he calls us friend. And he allows us to be used by him to accomplish his will on this earth. And that's a pretty neat gift. Paul said, you know, I can have all these great gifts, but if I don't have love, all of them are trash. They're no good. He talks about love uh, several times, and he uses that word love. And the kind of love that he's talking about, it's the Greek word agape. And it's a word that is used to describe a love that is selfless, is giving, is unconditional. That's the way God loves us and the way that God calls us to love one another. He says, listen, there's all these great gifts and you know they, they come through faith and they come through... Uh, but and are a gift from the Holy Spirit. But the greatest thing is love. And so Paul says, love is the great gift, and without it, it doesn't matter what else you think you have or what else you may try to do for God, it doesn't do any good. Well, there's a lot of different ideas about what Paul was, was trying to, to tell us. Uh, but when a teacher or preacher, when we repeat something, you know, when you're in school and the teacher stars something on the uh, smart board now, it was a blackboard when I was in school, uh, and probably most of you too, uh, and when they circled it and when they said it over and over again, what did that mean? It meant that was mighty important and you better make sure you know it um, because it was going to show up again probably on a test. And so they point out, hey, listen, this is really important. Paul uses this word love a lot of times in these verses that we read, doesn't he? And it's because he wants us to understand how important love is to God. And so I want us to look at a few things about this love that Paul says is so great this morning. And the first is this. I want us to look at the driver of love. What motivates it? What causes this love? Paul says, listen, God has given you and made you a part of the body of Christ. Why did he do that? Because he loved you. And because God loves you, he died for you, and he offers you salvation, anyone can be saved, no matter how rotten you are. And I'm ever good you think you are, you're not near as good as you think you are. And yet God loves you anyway. And he offers that great 
uh, gift of salvation because He loves you. And so Paul says, you know what, if I um, serve the Lord, I've got these gifts. And all of us, if you're a believer, you have a gift. There's, all of us were made and created by a wonderful, loving God that knit us together. And we have s- some natural abilities. Some of you are really good at certain things. Some of you are good working with your hands. Some of you are good singers. Some of you are good artists. You're good at those things because God gave you those wonderful gifts. And he gave you those wonderful gifts so you could use them to glorify him. But he also gave you spiritual gifts. And he gave you those spiritual gifts because he loves you and because he wants you to serve him and he says, why do you, Paul says, listen, why do I feed the poor? Why do Paul, in Paul's instance, he was called to preach, he was an apostle, he was one that was called to be a church planner, and did that in a great way. I mean, perhaps one of the greatest and most prolific church planners the world's ever known was the apostle Paul. He ended up writing, he was a great author. God gave him some knowledge and some ability to write. And he wrote a good chunk of the New Testament. Why did God do that? Why did God choose Paul? And why does God choose you? Because he loves you. And can I suggest to you that because God loves you and God has given you gifts, if you use those gifts without love, Paul says you're wasting your time. He said, if you're going to use those gifts and you're going to use them to their full ability and you're going to be the man or the woman that God created you to be, you're going to do all those things in love. Some of the spiritual gifts are things like service. He mentions that one specifically here in this chapter. Service is not something that comes naturally to us as human beings. We're selfish creatures. It will serve ourselves. We don't have a problem with that. But serving others, eh, I don't think so. I ain't got time for that. What motivates us as, as God's people to serve others? In fact, Jesus says if you want to become great, you'll become a servant. In fact, Jesus became a servant. Scripture says that, doesn't it? He did it because of love. He did it because he loves not only other believers. And remember, he says, hey, yeah, if you're a believer, you're part of the body of Christ. You're part of the same body. And so when you love yourself and you love, when you love others, you're really loving yourself. And you're loving God. And you're being who God created you to be. And so as we serve and as we work for the Lord, Paul says you better make sure you're doing it out of the right motive. The thing that ought to be driving, causing you to do that is not so you look good. Not so the preacher will give you accolades. Not so that your name will be in lights or that the book will be written about you. But simply out of love. Out of compassion for other people. Especially those that are less fortunate the widows and the orphans, the destitute, the prisoners. 
Those are who Jesus says, you know what, if you love me, you'll care for them. And the church Christian organizations are the main ones that were the first ones that opened orphanage and hospitals and colleges. Why do Christians do that? Spend billions of dollars around the world on those kind of causes. Because they love people. Why do they love people? Because God loves people. And if you're going to be the person God wants you to be, you're going to love the things that God loves. And the Bible says God loves the brokenhearted. God loves the outcast. And so don't you think you know, it for one minute that you are loving God and doing God a favor when you ignore the poor. Or when you ignore somebody that maybe speaks a different language or you know, is different than you in some way. Because God loves all, we're called to love all. And the reason you are to use the spiritual gifts God has given to you, whatever they are, you're to do it in love. Not out of selfish gain, not to make yourself look good, but out of love. But then next, I want us to look and consider for just a minute the objective of love. Love is a wonderful thing. We all want to be loved. Everybody wants to be loved. A big part of the problem, and I think the reason why there's so much hate in the world, is because there's so little love in the world. Hate and love are are opposites, aren't they? The world does not need hate. The reality is hate has never solved a single problem in the world. And I tell you that love has solved a lot of problems, and mended a lot of fences, and repaired a lot of relationships. The objective of love, Paul said, listen, love endures, it's patient, it's kind, it's not puffed up, it doesn't, you know, be, it's not excited in, uh, when, in wrongs and evil and things that are bad, but rejoices when the truth is proclaimed. The objective of love is not for us to be loved. And the objective of love is really not even to let others know that love. The objective is to let God know that we love him. And that we've received his love. Many authors have suggested, and I think they're probably right, that you really cannot know love, what love truly is, until you have found that love that God has for you. when you realize that you are so unworthy and despicable and and reject God and yet he loves you anyway, he cares for you, he said, well, I've just, and I've had people say to me, I've just done so much bad, there's no way God can love me. But the reality is that God knows all the bad that you've done. He even knows the bad you've thought about doing. And yet he loved you anyway. And yet he came. He knew all the times you would reject him. All the times you made promises to him and then broke him five minutes later. And yet he loves you anyway. So the objective of love is not to make others feel good. 
the objective is to be a part of the same body. And that body is the body of Christ. The objective is to be a part of God's family. Perhaps you've heard the saying, you catch a lot more bees with, you know, you don't catch flies with honey. Uh, we catch flies with honey, not vinegar. Something like that. You know, you straighten me out after church. I always get it loved up. But listen, how do you get people to know God loves them? Well, you can tell them. They may or may not believe you. But can I tell you, there's a much better chance that they'll believe you if you show them. So you know what? God loves you, and I love you. And I love you because God loves you. And I care about you because God cares about you. And I guarantee you, and I don't know all of you, I don't know your situations, I don't know your friends, I don't know your family, but I can make a guarantee. There are multiple people in your life. Family members, co-workers, neighbors, that need to know God loves them. They're hurting. We look around in this world, this world's a hot mess. And there are people that are hurting. And the thing about us as human beings is not only are we selfish, but we're prideful. And so even when we're hurting, what do we do? We put on a fake smile and somebody says, how are you doing? Oh, I'm fine. And the reality is we're broken on the inside. And this is what the reality is, that God loves us even in our brokenness. And God is the only one that can heal that brokenness. God may use you to heal the brokenness in someone. But you know something? You can't heal the brokenness in someone else when you're broken yourself. Until you have allowed God to love you just as you are. And mend you put you back together and make you into something wonderful, something beautiful, something good. God will do that, by the way. Now, here's the thing, and I'm, I'm, this is a rabbit for a minute. I'm going to catch the rabbit, I promise you. God will accept you. He'll take you just exactly like you are. He doesn't expect you to clean it. Listen, he already knows about all your junk. No use hiding it from trying to hide it because you can't hide it. He knows it already. And he loves you anyway. But here's the reality. God loves you so much that he's willing to accept you just as you are. But he loves you so much he's not going to leave you like he finds you. He's going to change you. And so when you come and you say, you know, I want God's so love, you better be prepared for it to change you. It changes everything about your life. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if anyone's in, in Christ, he is a new creation. Christ takes and remakes you. He makes you brand spanking new. Altogether different than what you once were. And the objective of the love of God, the, that greatest gift is that you might know the fullness of God's love in your life. 
And that by knowing the fullness of that love, you will take that love and you will share it with a world that desperately needs to hear it. And then lastly, as we wrap up this morning, not only do we you know, find um, the driver of love, what motivates it, and what the object of love is supposed to be, and it's not you, it's not self, it's God. But when we're loving God and we're loving God's people, we're loving ourselves too, aren't we? And we're really experiencing and, and knowing what God intended for us to, to be and do. But then lastly, Paul mentions the growing up of love. I've already mentioned a few times our human nature. When your kid is little, what do they love? They love themselves. Let's be honest. They'll say, Pappy, I love you. And they'll say, Mom, Dad, I love you. And they'll give you little sugars and hugs and draw you little pictures. But the reality is who they love is themselves. And they love you because you love them. And you do stuff for them. But Paul says, you know what? there's a point where love stops being about me. In fact, Jesus said, you know what? If you only love the people that love you back, what good is that? He said, you love your enemies. You love those that persecute you. You love those that talk bad about you. And in order for that to happen, there has to be a growing up of love. There has to be a maturing of love. And so as we grow up and as we experience God's love more and more, and, and I think as a new Christian, you respond to God's love. Somebody presented the gospel to you, which is that, listen, you're a sinner, but God loves you. You receive that message. And you're changed by it. And you say, yeah, I, I know God loves me. But as you grow with the Lord, you know his love more fully. Leslie and I have been married for nearly 20 years. We've known each other about 20 years. And from the first moment she saw him, she loved me. Man, she said, man, that man is the cat's meow. Uh, really, she, she probably didn't, but... Uh, that's why I tell myself to make myself feel good. And, you know, when, when I said I love you to Leslie for the first time, I meant it, and I really did love her. But can I tell you that as I've known her all these years, and as she's known me all these years, and we've known the good and the bad and the ugly of one another, I love her much more today than I did that first time I said it. That love is much deeper. Because that love has matured. And so Paul says, you know what? When I was a child, I acted like a child. But then he said, I grew up. And I put away childish things. And the childish thing I think that Paul was talking about was only loving those that loved you. And only loving those that you could get something out of. 
Can I tell you that God loves you even though he knows you're not worthy of that love? And he loves you even though he knows you're going to mess up, and he loves you even though he knows you're going to reject it? He has that agape love for you. And as you experience that agape love that God has for you more and more, guess what begins to happen in your life? You begin to, that agape love that you know of God, it doesn't stay inside. It starts oozing out. Now it doesn't, you know, not like bodily, you know, come, but it comes out of you. It can't be contained, and it grows. The more you give out, the more shows up. And so Paul says, you know what? I love the Lord, and the Lord loves me. And so Paul, why would Paul endure some of the things he did? Listen, he was a great church planner. And we lift him up, he was a great, you know, held up as a, a great example of faith. And did a lot of things for the Lord. I thought most of us, the first time we were slapped into prison, we said, uh, this ain't for me. I'm out of here. Beaten multiple times, stoned and left for dead. Most of us would have said, maybe I'm not going to give up on God, but I'm going to give up on these jokers. And if they're going to stone me, they don't deserve the gospel. They deserve spending eternity in hell. So that's where I'm going to stay. But you know what? That's not what Paul did. When people rejected him, when people persecuted him, he just kept preaching. And some of them, it made him even madder. And their hatred and their anger toward Paul grew. But some of them were changed. Because they saw the love that Paul had for them. And so here's the point of it. All of us would say, yeah, I love people. And I have the love of God in my heart. But the question I want to ask us as we wrap this sermon up is do others around you, do those neighbors that are hurting, do those coworkers that are hurting, do those family members that are hurting and are far away from God, do they know that you love them? More importantly, do they know that God loves them? You see, the objective is not just that they know you love them. The objective is that they know God loves them. That's what's important. But chances are they're not going to know that God loves them until they know that you love them first. You might be the one that God uses. God used Paul to love people to Jesus on many occasions. And so Paul was able to say, you know what? The greatest gift is love. And you know what great gifts are? Great gifts and the very best gifts are gifts that can be shared. And the greatest gift that can be shared, and perhaps even the easiest gift that can share, is love. And can I tell you, there is, again, far too little love in this world. There's a lot of hate in this world. 
And in our culture and our society, especially here in America, you know, people are freely these days spewing hate toward other people. And unfortunately, sometimes God's people. Does God call us to respond to hate with hate? He doesn't. He calls us to respond to hate with love. Why? Because that's how he responded to it. When we were sinning, when we were out you know, cursing God and doing things contrary to him, he loved us. And he pursued after us. And so how dare we not pursue after those that are wandering away from God? And perhaps God has put somebody on your heart. Perhaps in your path that is hurting. And the greatest hurt that they have is the absence of God in their life. Now, when you come to know God, it doesn't just become easy street and all your problems vanish. That's not the reality of what happens, despite what some of these TV preachers want to tell you. There's still difficulties. And there's still troubles. But here's the thing. When you have Jesus in your life, he helps you carry that load. He helps you deal with those burdens and those troubles. So they're not so insurmountable. Left to just you, they'll crush you. But when Christ is there helping carry the load, you're able to move on. And so the greatest gift is love. Friend, I want to ask you two questions this morning as we wrap up. First is, do you know that love of God? You're here today, you say, you know what, I've never really known what it is to be loved by anybody, much less God. And I tell you that you can come to know that love today. I can assure you, I may not know your name, I may not know all about you, but I do know that God knows your name, and God knows all about you, and God loves you anyway. And if you'll reach out to him, he will reach out to you. But then the second question, if you say, yeah, you know what, I do know God's love, then this is the question for you. What are you doing with that love? If that love is so great, and it's the greatest gift, Paul said, hey, it's the greatest thing God's given you. What are you doing with it? What are you doing? Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your great love to us. Lord, if there's one here this morning that doesn't know you and the forgiveness of sin and the newness of life that a relationship with you brings, may today be the day that they receive that great gift. Lord, help them to receive that by faith. But Lord, I know there are many here in this room, there are many watching on Facebook and YouTube that have received that gift. And I believe the Holy Spirit says to us this morning, what are you doing with that love? Have we put it in a box on a shelf to take out once a year or so? Are we selective who we share that love with? Agape love is not selective. And it's not convenient. And it's not cheap. And it's not easy. In fact, it's messy. And it's time-consuming. It's costly. 
But Lord, it's the love that you call us to give. And you call us to give it because we've received it. Lord, help us to love this world. A world that literally hates your word and your people so much that thousands around the world die every day simply for being a child of God and proclaiming the gospel message. Lord, you've given us so much. But the greatest is love. Lord, Lord, help us not to hold that love to ourselves, but to share it freely with the world that desperately needs to have it. Lord, they think the answer is more hate, the answer is more money. The, but Lord, really what this world needs, and the only thing that will solve this world's problems, is the love of God becoming real in the lives of the people that live in this world. So Lord, would you help us to love the unlovable. Help us to love those that are hard to love. Because that's what you call us to do. In Jesus' name. Let's stand together. And we're going to sing a hymn of invitation. God spoke to your heart. You know what you say? You know what? I need that love of God in my life. You can come to know that today. And I encourage you to receive that great gift. If you're here today and you're saved and you're a child of God, you answer that question, what are you doing with the love that God has given to you? Let's sing this hymn.